It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. Let's talk about Ohio State beating Indiana by seven points and everyone losing their absolute minds about it. And, and look, I want to say something before we get into it. Ohio State had over 600 yards of offense, 300 passing yards, over 300 rushing yards, which is obviously, you know, concerned about the rushing game. Well, guess what? Master Chief goes out and rushes for almost 170 yards. You hold your opponent to negative one rushing yards. But, and this is a pretty big caveat, Indiana comes out and throws for almost 500 yards of passing, which is something that I can't really wrap my head around. And when I was watching the game, I was kind of like, I guess I, I should be concerned about this. <laughs> but I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I, I at no point really felt that Ohio State was in danger of losing the game against Indiana. Now, all the stuff we're going to talk about from here on out, and we've got a special guest coming on to break down some of the things that I think most people are more concerned about. But all these things we're going to be talking about are related to the future. The game itself, eh, I was, you know, it, I get it. I, I think they lost their focus. I think there's some endemic problems with the past defense that we can get into. But frankly, it's not one that especially in a season like this, I'm freaking out that much about. Am I, am I too blasé, Andy? Am, am I not taking this game seriously enough? I mean, I think you, I think you said it uh, pretty well. It's not so much this game, but it's what we're going to focus on, I think, is what we saw in this game and what it means for bigger games down the line. Now, here's the other thing uh, I think is people are freaking out about this loss uh this wait feels like a loss this uh <laughs> you notice like people are oftentimes more worked up about a near miss that really yeah. wasn't that near than they are about an actual loss i think the thing that that is is really interesting is that we're not giving indiana enough credit uh i'm super impressed with tom allen and his game plan, I think their game plan was excellent. Yeah. Um, you know, Penix, legit quarterback. And, and it's not like this is the first time we've ever talked about that guy. You know, he's, he's been a decent, serviceable quarterback. So it's not surprising that he went out there and threw for a bajillion. But, but there's, uh, you know, something to be said for this season not being the year of the 85 Bears pretty much anywhere in college football. Like, who has a really elite defense? We've sort of touched on that. Uh, yeah, this is a game where Ohio State's offense was also very prolific. So it was not like Indiana's defense came in looking like they were just world beaters either. Just one of those games. People are out there slinging the rock. And, yeah. you know, as the kids say these days, a, a, a win's a win in the 10. Well, the, the thing that I, I guess makes me not so concerned about this game, at least in a vacuum, is that – and what I mean by that is I, I'm looking at individual efforts by players. And I'm like, okay, I don't think they suck all of a sudden. Like, I don't think Justin Fields is a bad quarterback no. because <laughs> right. he was really – he made a series of very stupid mistakes. Look, look, let's put this into perspective. Home Slice lost the Heisman Trophy on a day where he threw for 300 yards, rushed yeah. for another 78, and accounted for three total touchdowns. Like, yeah. 2020 is wild, yo. Yeah, it's super wild. And, and look – I'm not going to excuse those interceptions. Those are very dumb and they were stinkers. Sure. <laughs> yeah, they were terrible. They're also the only three he's thrown all year. <laughs> Correct. And and they're also a result of him basically getting a little too high on his own supply. You know what I mean? Like the, the guy believed in Justin Fields. And I don't feel like that's a bad thing necessarily. If you're going to go out – and yes, if they had lost the game because of him making dumb errors or, or getting a little too cocky, then okay, you can get really mad at him. But honestly, I like a quarterback with a little bit of swagger who makes dumb decisions at some, you know, points in time. Now, I don't want to see that many dumb decisions. I don't want to see a sequence of them. But hopefully this is kind of a learning moment for the dude and he realizes that, okay, it's, so, it's, it's all right not to just huck the ball up into the air. And I understand, I, I think part of it may not have just been arrogance or cockiness. I also think part of it might have been frustration he was getting hit a lot. He got sacked a lot in that game against Indiana. You want to make something happen to take the heat off of you a little bit, and I, I understand that. Um, so all of those things combined, they don't make Justin Fields any you know less capable of a quarterback. It just means that you've got to get in the uh, coaching room and, and figure some things out. Now, I also think that 
Indiana is really, I mean, if you look at the rest of the schedule, that's probably the stiffest test Ohio State's going to face. So, yes. Right. As far as the Big Ten goes. So, I don't know what else you're really going to learn. If you're concerned about this team right now, then my point is, is that I don't think any subsequent games within the Big Ten should really alleviate that concern. And, and, and my overall point, my larger point then, is that I don't know that you should be that concerned because of this game, except for maybe the past defense. And, and we're absolutely going to get into that, and we'll talk about what that looks like in the secondary and things like that. But as far as whether the rushing game or the – like, it's, it's fine. Like, it's going to be fine. And, and, frankly, I think the defensive line, even though they didn't really, uh, you know, get to the quarterback at Depenix, I, I think they brought a lot of heat. Um, I think they'll continue to do that in other games in the future. Linebackers still very good. It's it's really just one unit that I think you can legitimately worry about as a result of the Indiana game. That's and, it. And, That's the only know, thing that I'm really concerned about. The other part of this too, some of these things are things that we've talked about on the show before or or that other writers on the site have brought up. So the, the thing about Fields uh, with the interception, some of those came because he held the ball for about an hour <laughs> right. uh, on those plays. Now, you know, you might at first blush be able to say, gosh, why didn't the offensive line give him more pass production? Let me repeat myself. He had to hold the ball about an hour uh, for those those yeah. plays. Uh, the, the line held up, I think, reasonably well. I had some concerns about the interior line, still do. Um, but, you know, the tackles were fantastic. It continued to be uh, uh, Petty Frere, not, not – not, Pretty free as uh, <laughs> my, my man Joel Klatt referred to him as more yeah. than once the, during the broadcast. You know he looks uh, fantastic, but but we had talked about this that sometimes Fields is held onto the ball longer than you might have liked, rather than just taking off and running for it. It's almost the opposite extreme of of some of the you know Braxton Miller, JT Barrett years where you maybe want them to hang out and pass uh, yeah. a, a little bit before taking off and running. But we we talked about like it's it's something the staff's been okay with because he creates magic. Sometimes this is that game where the magic didn't happen. Uh, you know, that's the flip side of that coin, letting a guy hang out there and, and try to make something out of nothing, maybe in the future in a game where it really matters, the impetus will be, Hey, you know, if your check down's not there, get your ass out of the pocket and go pick up a first down with your legs. Right. And you would have hoped, I mean, you would have hoped that in the fourth quarter, Ohio state would have scored, made it less of a game, um, and, and they didn't. I mean, they, they really – that was their chance to kind of salt it away a little bit, and they, they didn't do that. They allowed Indiana to get within a touchdown. And, you know, it's not uh, – the, the score on the scoreboard looks worse than it is in the sense because they got that touchdown right at the kind of at the end there, and you're like, okay, well, maybe they'll make a go of this and whatnot. I, I just – to me, it felt that this was that sloppy game that teams will have because maybe their focus slips for a little bit. They don't take the opponent as seriously as they maybe they should. And as a result, you get a team that I think is obviously better athletically, depth-wise, all that stuff, and for whatever reason just doesn't play up to their capabilities for the entire game. And, and you could say there's a pattern there. You could That's another thing maybe that's legitimate to be concerned about. Ohio State has put their foot off the gas in the second half of some of these games, and they have not really salted the game away. When it looks like they could score 60 or 70 points, and instead they're like, okay, well, we're trying not to get hurt here. We're going to score 50 instead or 45. That's something maybe to think about. But, like, you know, if, if your team is – capable of being up 35 to seven in the first half right that says that they're still capable of doing that in the second half as well right and replicating that effort um it's not like all of a sudden they get bad they they lose focus or maybe they get out schemed for something but it's not like uh there's a huge inherent worry um with the team in general so that's that's something they'll have to figure out through coaching and it's going to be hard because Maybe personnel-wise, you're missing some guys. You've got some injuries you have to deal with. But, uh, you know, in the immediate future, it's not something I'm particularly worried about. I do, I do think you highlighted something that I'm, I'm sure the staff is, is at least thinking about. Uh, you know, for years, 
I would say Ohio State was a second half ball club. It, was, it felt like every week I, you know, I would say to my wife at halftime, yep, yep, we're a second half ball club because Urban Meyer teams in particular just sort of fiddle farted around for the first half of the ball game. Yep. And then they would come out in the second half and slaughter the opposing team. You know, it was just one of those things happened regularly. And then you talk about those clunker games, like every team, even great teams, have a game where they just kind of, you know, futz their way through it and and unfortunately there were too many times urban meyer coach teams lost those games you know you can think of three examples <laughs> right. off the top of your head without really having to stretch too hard uh you know if this is the game where a ryan day team trips all over themselves and they come out you know a comfortable win I, i'm okay with that i thought this stat uh, joey Kaufman from the columbus dispatch highlighted on twitter monday was really good ohio state's outscored its opponents 108 to 30 in the first half of games this season, uh, but has been outscored 74 to 73 in the second half. So, you know, now when you look at that, just how many teams are able to come back from a 108 to 30 deficit? You know, how many teams are really going to be able to come come back from that deep a hole? How many teams can come back from 35 to seven, frankly, Mm -hmm. you know, and so they're, they're that probably, and we're going to talk specifically about the Buckeye pass defense, for the bulk of the show. So we're, we're, if you're wondering why we're not really digging into that, that that's coming, stay, stay with us. But I think <laughs> that's the other thing too, is there aren't that many teams that can dig out of a hole like that. And if they are going to dig out of the hole like that, it's going to be because they're dropping bombs, you know, 60 passes uh, to try to catch back up. And that maybe also explains why you see some of the holes that we've seen coming apart in the Buckeye secondary. It's just because, these teams aren't able to run against the Buckeyes. They're not going to be able to run against the Buckeyes. And so they're trying to just pick them apart through the air. And it's hard to come back from that. I mean, there's a reason air raid teams aren't winning the playoff year in and year out. Right. 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 Absolutely. And here's last thing I'll say before we get to uh, our our special guests here, Uh, officiating really bad, real damn bad. Uh, The two missed fumbles. Awful. Uh, And then of course the, the targeting call that was not called. Um, I, you know, I, <laughs> I understand that every team complains about targeting. Every fan base complains about officiating and all that kind of stuff. I, this to me was pretty egregious and I don't understand why it's so damn hard to call fumbles or catches a catch. Like, I just, I don't know why that part of the game is so difficult to get right. Uh, and it just baffles me that with as many cameras that we have and as many angles as, as an official can watch something. I, I don't know why the idea of a catch has to require someone like cradling the ball, taking it home, raising it as your son, sending it off to college, and then like, you know, handing it off at its marriage or something like that. I don't, I don't know why you have to basically take legal possession of a object to be it called a catch. Um, so I don't know that it's, there's a lot of dumb stuff going on with that. And the other I think thing that, that bugged me was on that, that fumble, uh, that, that wasn't called, you know, they didn't even review that. You know, and that's the no. other thing that just floored me was like, we yeah, they just went everything. on there. Like, yeah, we're good. you know, like coach is picking his nose on the sideline. We're going to go to the booth to double, double check, but that we didn't, I mean, and I, I know there's rules and maybe there's a rule that said they couldn't review that particular play. I, I don't know, but it just feels like that that was one that there was a clear miss there and I kept I was sitting there on the edge of my seat like oh they're clearly going to review that and then you know the the, the play the next play happens it's like wait they're not going to review that I, and that just sort of that that really threw me because that was one that was a clear you know clear game changer um the targeting against fields that wasn't called I'll be honest I I missed it in real time uh and then Teddy Greenstein um formerly of the the Columbus Tribune um columbus tribune chicago tribune similar but different uh (laughs) called it out on twitter and then you see the video and you're like holy crap yeah you know fields he took a clear shot to the head that uh should have been you know should have been called it was pretty it was pretty clear and right there um i mean the officials were it's not like they were you know 60 yards away uh they were in position to make a call and that was one um dan had a nice report on monday ryan day talked about a a long conversation he had with big (laughs) 10 you know after after watching the poor officiating uh friday night that cost uh, a game you know in the big 10 i mean it was really bad and then you you, you've had a couple games this season where there were game altering decisions you just say man come on big 10 officials you got to step up 
yeah yeah there's there's definitely some deficiencies there and hopefully they get them rectified and or if they don't, uh, whatever they end up doing just goes Ohio State's way for once. That's fine. As long yeah. they can be terrible, as long as it benefits the Buckeyes. Right. That's sure. all I care about. Sure. Um, so we we've talked about some things that I think you can maybe not worry about so much. I think the running game is fine. It's footing a little bit. They figured out what to do uh, with Master Teague. Uh, I still think you know Justin Fields is is the cream of the crop when it comes to throwing the ball and yes. college football. But there are, as we mentioned, I think some legitimate things that you can be concerned about long term and. To talk about that and maybe understand it a little bit better, we're bringing on our very own Kyle Jones to kind of break it down a little bit. So let's talk with him. Kyle Jones, Scheme Master, joining us on the Dubcast. So you, you had no shortage of things to think about writing about this week. We already covered, uh, before you joined us, the uh, challenges with our, our quarterback, who may not be the best quarterback in the country anymore. Uh, but we thought maybe for your expertise, we should drill in on the passing defense of the Buckeyes. Silver bullets, they ain't, or at least didn't look to be, versus the Hoosiers. When you went back and looked at the film, Kyle, what uh, what jumped out on you? Where do we even start picking apart the problems with the Buckeye backfield on that side of the ball? Oh, oh boy. Well, thanks for starting me off with an easy one. Um, <laughs> appreciate it. It's good, good to be here. But um, to get into that, it's actually a lot of different things. And I, you know, I, I wrote about it this week, but it's, it's a comedy of errors in a way in the sense that it's not, you know, and, and Ryan Day said this after the, it's not just one thing. It's not like this is a situation where you say, Oh, they're running cover three idiot run cover two. Like that, this is, it's not that simple. You know, there's, there's breakdowns all over the place um, from, you know, there are scheme issues for sure. Um, you know, Indiana basically Ryan Day to this defense to death. Um, you know, it's, it's very entertaining to me to see all the Ohio State fans complaining about Indiana running crossing routes with pick plays as if Ohio State hasn't gained 2,000 passing yards over the last three seasons against Michigan alone on that play. And, you know, it was a great – it was a very well-designed play by uh, – game plan by Indiana, but that wasn't the whole story. I mean, there's breakdowns in technique. The two cornerbacks both got, you know, just flat-out beat a couple times. Um, there were a lot of communication issues, which that just tells me that this is a team that is not playing cohesive football. There's not a lot of trust there yet. Um, but the good news, and I think we actually saw a little bit of it near the end of the game and those last couple of drives, is these are fixable problems. There's just a lot of them. And so the question becomes, how much can they get fixed and how fast? And I think the real – the thing that Ohio State fans probably didn't want to admit to themselves or at least talk about is the fact that well one you're replacing an entire secondary but you're doing it in a completely never been done before practice scenario right there was no spring practice there was no traditional fall camp we don't really get to see how practice looks these days how many true reps they're getting in, in compared to years past um you know this is a different world and uh, the teams just had to adapt and now you've got a bunch of new starters back there. You got three, four new starters to be on, if we're going to be honest, because Sean Wade's starting a completely different position, which is very different. And you've got a new coach who, even though they're teaching supposedly the same system as last year, he's still learning a lot of it on the fly. And it, again, it's not that Kerry Combs has never coached a cover three or a, a man coverage team. It's far from it, but it's, if you're going to make this your system, you have to know where the answers are. And so that when, a team like Indiana starts picking apart the weaknesses, which every single defense has, you've got to have something that you can say, here's my counterpunch. And that's what took a long time to come into play on Sun on Saturday. Um, you know, it wasn't until those last couple of drives that you really started to see, okay, they're, they're playing a little bit different personnel. They're playing a little bit more too high looks with, you know, two deep safeties mixing in some cover two. They're blitzing more. Okay. This looks different. They're not just playing a vanilla game plan. And, you know, that's, that's where things started to change a little bit. Indiana started to get knocked off their rocker some. So, again, there's things that can be fixed, but who knows how quickly it'll be addressed and if there's enough time, honestly, to get them fixed before we hit the postseason. So, okay, so what, what you're saying to me is that it's not as simple as just fire this person or bench <laughs> that player. I, I mean, like, we love to, I think, as fans, boil this down to the simplest possible answer and after reading your piece and hearing you describe it, 
uh, it's not that simple. It, it's not, but if you really had to, if you forced me to, the biggest thing that'll help is if you just run those cornerbacks on against vertical routes for the whole week, put spend this entire week having <laughs> Garrett Wilson and Chris, I'm serious. Like, you know, let Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave run post route after post route, go route after go route and make them practice it. Cause you actually have a quarterback and a pair of receivers who will, you know, be who are very good at that exact thing that this defense is bad at. And just, it feels to me, you know, and this is not something that Kerry, again, Kerry Combs, it's not that he's never coached this before. Far from it. He's coached countless reps, way more. You know, he's forgotten more reps than any of us combined will ever coach, right? And it's just about getting them. And, you know, if they were able to just say, you know what, we can at least rely on the back three of Wade, uh, Malik, or uh, Marcus Hooker, and Seven Banks to just put an umbrella, put a lid on everything. Nothing's going to get behind it. If that's all you say from here on out, it'll make a huge improvement. So you if think, you really wanted to settle, you know, boil it down, that's what it would be. Do you think that's enough for the future? I mean, like Ohio State, I mean, Indiana probably had the best passing game that Ohio State's going to face in the Big Ten. I, I think that's, that's a, a decent assumption on my part. But is that enough if you're going towards the college football playoff? Is that going to be like being able to just kind of put a lid on it limit the damage is that going to be enough when you're playing the likes of like an alabama or a clemson or something like that well no <laughs> <laughs> so so what is so what is the the move then because if that's not enough what what do they have to get to for it to be enough i think it's you have to have the ability to throw a few different punches and i apologize for using the analogy again but you know they're they're using their jab over and over and over and over again and pretending that a jab's enough to win this fight and they've got to be able to mix things up. So, you know, last year they could play man coverage most of the time and no, we've got two studs on the outside and Okuda and, and Arnett who we trust against anybody else will face. And we've got a free safety in Jordan Fuller who like, if you know, you ask the coaches and they say this, that guy lives right. He doesn't make mistakes. He makes the right choice all the time, every time. Now, that take, you know, that's your safety blanket. And that allows you to do all kinds of other things. Um, you know, especially with your defensive front. Now this year, you might have to actually cover up for those guys. They're not the, the, the foundation anymore. And so for me, if I'm, if I'm coming into this cold, what I'm saying is you've got a set of linebackers who are probably the strength of the defense. If we're going to be honest, the D line's been very good. Don't get me wrong. But those linebackers, that's who you can trust, right? You can trust those guys to make the right decision. You can trust Pete Warner. You can trust Baron Browning now. I, I, I didn't think I would have said that a month ago. You can trust him to make the right choices. Tough Borland, you can trust. He's definitely going to make the right choice. Is he fast enough to get there is a different question altogether, though we don't need to have the tough argument for the 10th time. Um, <laughs> but if you're telling me I have the choice of man up and try to outdog the guy across from me so that when it's – Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and those and Jalen Waddle and those guys from Alabama, or it's Trevor Lawrence and his his guys and Clemson. You know, I, I'm leaning on the linebackers, and what that means is I'm playing zone, and I'm gonna just keep keep it really conservative in the back end, and I'm gonna force those guys over the middle. I'm gonna force you to make a catch and get popped by Pete Werner and Baron Browning and Tough Borland over and over and over again, and or break a tackle. And I'm going to make you work your way down the field and I'm going to make you earn every single yard. And you know what? It's very similar to, you know, not to switch, switch teams, but you know, it's similar to a physical running game. Like what we see with like the Cleveland Browns where at the end of the day, if you have Nick Chubb, just lean in that offensive line, leaning on you, you get tired, you get tired of getting hit. And that's, that's essentially the philosophy that I would take. Now I'm nowhere near as smart as the coaches that are there, but, um, that, that's how I would address the situation. Zone it up more, make, you know, put your, put your onus on the linebackers to make plays underneath and, and make everybody earn it. So you, you mentioned the, and I agree with you, the, the I don't know if I would have said even a year ago, boy, these linebackers are going to be the strength of the defense, uh, but that's been, that's been pretty clear, but you mentioned, you just kind of, uh, passed over the defensive line. They've, they've been, they've been good. Uh, but how much of an, an issue is it that we're not seeing guys like Harrison living in the backfield and, and eating opposing cornerbacks, quarterbacks lunches? Like how big of an issue is it that you're not seeing 
just the kind of consistent pressure in the quarterback's face like we've been used to seeing for several years? Well, I think, I think there has been plenty of pressure. It's just that it's not coming from the guys you expect it from, and it's not happening at a volume you may be expecting. And what I, what I mean by that is, you know, we, we saw a stat today of, uh, I believe PFF said that Tommy Togia led the country in quarterback pressures with 10. Tyreek Smith was third in the country with seven. So they're not, get, they're not getting there. They're getting, they're getting pressure, but they're just not getting there quite in the same time to actually end the play. And, and obviously that makes a big difference. But I think the, the, the real question that you're asking here is, or can be answered by the fact that they're still rotating these, that, that front line a ton. I don't, I don't think they know who their best four are yet. I think they know who their best two defensive tackles are. I think that's clearly Garrett and Togiai, and those, those two have been great. But I don't think if you ask Larry Johnson today, who are your four best, four most dependable pass rushers? How do you line them up? I don't think they know that answer. And I think that's what they're still trying to find out is, is it Jonathan Cooper? And if it is Jonathan Cooper, where is he lining up? Is he lining up as, you know, are they going to have a rush men package? You know, is it Baron Browning coming off the edge or blitzing from all over the place? Is it, you know, Tyreek Smith, I think is a monster. Can he stay on the field long enough, stay healthy? Um, so, I mean, Zach Harrison, you know, had a strip sack the other day, or I'm sorry, I think they called it back. Right. But, you know, he made a big play, got pressure in the backfield, got, you know, hit the quarterback's arm. But then he didn't play for two more series because it wasn't his turn. And I, I think it's a, it's a depth question that we're considering an issue right now, if that makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that I, I look at, and, you know, I'm a layman. I don't know all the ins and outs of, like, schemes and, and whatnot. But if you're just looking at the statistics and you're looking at a team that gives up 490-some yards of passing and then negative one yards of rushing – I, that is so mind blowing to me because it indicates the incredible discrepancy be, between one part of the defense and the other part of the defense. And and maybe this goes to your point that they're not necessarily, you know, working in concert and they're kind of just disjointed a little bit, but like, is that a function of a team focusing on eliminating one part of the opponent's offense? Or is that just something where it's like, there's a really good unit and a really not great unit right now. And the, uh, you know, the opposing offenses are just exploiting one of them. So I think that's a really good question. And it brings up the way that we think about positions and how you defend, you know, we, you know, growing up playing Madden or even when you watch the NFL, right. They tell you that you're running a four, three, four, you know, Ohio State runs a four, three, four. And that means yeah. you have four, you know, you, you know, the positions and we think about it that way. But if you talk to the coaches and you ask them how they break it, break it down, it's a front six and a back five. That's how they think about it in this system. Not every system's like it. Greg Schiano's system was different. That was its own whole issue. Um, but this team and the way this system's set up, you have your front six, which is your front four linemen. You have your two inside linebackers this year. That's Tuff and, and Pete, Pete Werner. And then you've got your back four uh, secondary players you know, which is your two corners and your free safety. And then you've got your two alley players. And, you know, that's why everyone goes, oh, Sean, Sean Wayne was a cornerback last year. Like, no, he was an alley player. He was basically a strong safety is what you would have called this in any other team. But the fact that Jerry put it, you know, listed him as a, as a cornerback on the roster, everyone assumes it's the same position, right? And, you know, that's, that's the way to think about it is the Sam linebacker falls with those back five. And when they make play calls, it's literally split up that way so that the front six have their calls and their responsibility and the back five have theirs. And, you know, the front six, that's Greg Madison, that's Larry Johnson, that's Al Washington, that's their world. And the back five, that's Kerry Combs, that's Matt Barnes, that was Jeff Hafley. And, you know, I think that's set up to make it so that you can have these discrepancies. So, you know, whereas with Greg Schiano's defense, which we all still fondly remember, you know, that last year in 2018, it, everything was a mess, right? They, they would try to cover up for gaps in the pass game and the run game, would fall, you know, run defense would fall, fall apart. And then the next week, they'd try to make an adjustment for that, and it would be the opposite. And I think with this system, the benefit is at least, you know that you don't, you don't have to change. Whatever they do on the back end, they're still going to be able to defend the run. And that's the way it's lined up. Now, it begs the question, at what point do you start to tweak with that formula? And at right. what point do you start to say, okay, I need Pete Warner 
as good as he is at stuff in the, the B gap and, and not letting anybody get through there on the run play. I need him to be the guy that is Superman for us. You know, last year, Superman, like I said, that was, that was Okuda. It was Arnett. It was, it was Sean Wade, or I'm sorry, it was uh, Jordan Fuller. You know, those guys were the ones that you could just hang your hat on and say, go bring us home, cover us. This year, you you have to change things a little bit to make it those linebackers. Yeah, that's – sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, you mentioned Warner. Like, Warner to me has looked impressive. Uh, you know, Proctor's a guy that looks like he's always looking for contact. When, when you're looking at personnel like that, who are, who are the guys that you've looked at and said I've really been impressed with? And, and who are the guys where you, you say, man – uh, they really need to continue to develop and get some more coaching and technique and so on to get where they could get. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And Proctor this week is the is everyone's favorite guy because he had, I think, probably the cleanest game of all those defensive backs. I think he's he's clearly earned more playing time. But, you know, everyone's saying, oh, just, just put him at free safety instead of <laughs> Hooker. And, I mean, okay, well – why don't you put, uh, you know, Chris Olave at tailback then? He's looked good. You know, like that's, it's that kind of thinking, right? And, um, you know, I, I think the reality is, is where Pro- you look at a guy like Proctor and you say, okay, I want to get him on the field more. Where is he going to get on the field more? Well, it's either at that slot corner, which again, like I said, is truly like a, a strong safety, a traditional strong safety. Um, you can put him there. He can also play, you know, the Sam. This is the bullet position that we were all so excited about two years ago, right? That turned out to just be Pete Werner playing Sam linebacker. Um, <laughs> you know, it's branding more than anything. But, like, that's what it is. is you're, putting, you're putting a defensive back in that, that kind of alley player, that Sam linebacker spot. And I think, I mean, obviously we haven't heard this, but my assumption is, is Baron Browning's played well enough there that they were really hesitant to say, we're going to take this senior who's played his butt off and who's, who's you know, done everything we've asked of him this year and is doing very well, but he's just a bad mismatch in, you know, for what Indiana's doing. Am I going to take him off and put a guy, Proctor, who has had way fewer snaps playing down in that spot and trust him? And I, that's what really it comes down to, is, is where can you trust someone like Proctor to play and who is the other guy that you can trust to play that same spot? Who do you trust more? You know, and, and I think that's the challenge that the staff's got right now, which is, you know, we saw it. That's why they didn't actually go to a nickel package until the fourth quarter. You know, they left that base four, three packet with all three linebackers out there until the last two drives, basically, until it was so painfully obvious that they had to make it, make a change. So, you know, did that probably help build trust in Proctor those last couple of drives? Absolutely. And so I would imagine you're going to see more, but, you know, Andy, to your original question of who are the guys that, that need some help, you know, it's all the rest of the guys back there, you know, every <laughs> single one of them, you know, had something that made you go, Ugh, that wasn't great. Wish that wouldn't happen, but um, you know, they're correctable mistakes. You know, I think the, one of the most interesting plays or, or sequences of the game that stood out to me and I, I outlined, outlined it in my piece was the, the first touchdown to Freifogel, where he just looked like he was wide open on the backside post and just basically, you know, no one was near him. And, you know, part of that, that was just a coverage bust. It wasn't because, you know, Marcus Hooker doesn't know how to play free safety or, or whatever. It was literally Marcus Williamson and Seven Banks went to go cover the same guy. It was just, they, they had the, it was a communication break, you know, mix up. And so they were both covering one guy. No one's covering Freifogel running that seam route. Well, fast forward to later in the game, they have they run the exact same play. They flip it to the other side. They've got a deep out from the you know from that bunch formation. If you remember, they ran that a bunch. And Freifogel's running up the seam on what turns into a post route. So there's a deep out route. Well, this time Marcus Williamson absolutely blankets. I mean, he, he's not open for one second on the play. Mm-hmm. Penix is sitting back there in the pocket. He tries to force a deep out route. Guess what happens? Sean Wade steps in front of him and takes it to the house. So that to me shows these are correctable, correctable problems. And they know what needs to be corrected, not just the coaches, but they're communicating that to the players because to have such a big change, you had the same play run the first time it's a bust for a touchdown for one team. The second time it's covered up perfectly and turns into a pick six, you know, like that, that to me is, 
hopefully the story that comes out of this team. <laughs> well, Kyle, we really appreciate your expertise in coming on and explaining this. And I, I want to ask you one last thing before we get you out of here. For Ohio State fans who are sitting down, they're watching, you know, Illinois, they, they, they're like, God, we've got to get the Illibuck. You know, it's the biggest <laughs> thing on the calendar that everybody cares about every year. Mm -hmm. um, what is the number one thing that they should look for in the secondary uh, to kind of determine how they may have evolved or tried to fix or change some things that are really, you know, those things that are indeed fixable that you kind of referred to? Um, so it's, it's obviously hard with TV, with, you know, TV angles sometimes. And Illinois' passing game is – um, struggle bus right yes. now. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. To put it put it bluntly, uh, so I don't know how many true times they're going to be tested in that game. But the one thing I would look for is when the ball's in the air. Where are Ohio State's defenders? And what I mean by that are, if you see two guys standing next to each other and there's no Illinois defender near him near them, that's not good. <laughs> that shows that they're still. <laughs> You know, even if the ball's not going that way, you just see two guys that, you know, seem to be standing in the same zone. Those are like the little things you start to look for. And that didn't happen last year, right? You never saw those types of breakdowns because everyone knew exactly where to be. They were crisp. They were moving. So I think it's just, you know, when the ball's in the air, when you see a replay, don't watch the ball. Look at the way the guys are distributed. Do they all have their eyes on the quarterback at third zone? Are they all spread out, you know, what looks like equally? You know, if they're in man – is there somebody who's running wide open on the other side? You know, it's, it's looking for those breakdowns that don't show up in the instant replay. That's where I, I – and I know it's, it's easier said than done, but if you're looking for signs – because they're – you know, they'll, they can easily have a bunch of mistakes next week and, Indy, and Illinois is not going to be able to punish them for them. And everyone's going right. to go, wow, they held Illinois to 130 passing yards. That's great. Everything's fixed. <laughs> and it may not be, you know. So I think that's, that's really the, the place that I'll be paying attention to. Well, like I said, we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about that. That's something to definitely look out for. Uh, Kyle, thanks again. And, and everybody out there, please continue to you know, watch and, and look for all of his great, awesome analysis on 11 Warriors. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Kyle for coming on. And, and look, when you talk about Ohio State, you always have to talk about the larger college football world because that means Ohio State's good and Ohio State is relevant. And when you – have a very good and relevant team. You want to see how they stack up against teams that aren't in your own conference. So taking a look at that wider world, you know, you've got Alabama that goes out and just beats the absolute hell out of Kentucky. I don't know what else you really learned this weekend in college football. I mean, yes, you can have Dabo whining, complaining about not being able to play a game, but overall this was another big slate of cancellations and postponements, right? So that's one thing. And then you also had, you know, like Cincinnati escaping UCF, Florida beat Vanderbilt, and, and Kyle Trask is now the presumptive uh, Heisman Trophy leader. But they, you know, Vanderbilt, terrible team, hung around a little bit on them. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, to me, Ohio State is still not a team I'm freaking out about yet. If, if they turn in another performance like they did against Indiana, I'm going to be like, okay, fine maybe we can see how they stack up against like Alabama and worry a little bit, but I don't, I haven't learned much the past couple of weeks, honestly, in the wider world of college football. I mean, I think to me, the most interesting game of the weekend was actually in the big 10 West uh, with the fighting uh, Fitzes taking yeah. down Wisconsin, you know, to yes. me uh, and, and, and I'll admit some, uh, I've got some close friends who are uh, alumni of uh, Northwestern. So it was fun seeing them super excited about it but like that that was an interesting thing to me because you know in a normal year you would expect Wisconsin to just you know take care of business and right. they decidedly did not I know it's been a weird season for them but I don't know that you would have ever penciled in Northwestern uh hosting Wisconsin and and winning handily I mean it wasn't a high scoring game no. But it's not like Wisconsin was, you know, inching back and needed just another quarter to finish the deal. Yeah, no. I mean, this was – you're definitely looking at a uh, a team in Northwestern that is getting it done. You're not I, – I don't know that anybody – I think I saw a facetious article like, okay, yeah, it's college football playoff time for Northwestern. Let's go. I don't know that we're quite there uh, uh, yet. I mean, you're still struggling to hit, you know, 200 yards passing. I'm, I'm looking at the stats right now. 
Uh, 24 rushing yards on 23 attempts, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> getting slightly over one yard uh, per carry uh, out of the Northwestern rushing attack, but they won, and they beat a team that was a top-10 team that people kind of believed in. I, I, I also find that interesting, and I hope – you know, Northwestern, I've always said, is kind of my spirit animal. And I, I hope that they continue to kind of impress and do interesting things. Um, they're not a threat for the playoff. And, and frankly, if they end up becoming the representative in, in the Big Ten Championship game, I think Ohio State walks in that. I, I don't think there's any threat there. But, um, yeah, it's a fun story. And, and I like the fact that they're winning. I like the fact that they're 5-0 and 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 could, honestly, if you – you know, extrapolate it out. They could they could rack up a ton of wins by the end of the season. Look, I just want you to 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 soak this in for a minute. Uh, as as of November twenty fourth, the year of our Lord two thousand and twenty, there are three Big Ten teams in the top twelve of the Associated Press poll, and those teams are in order: Ohio State, Northwestern, and Indiana. Hell like, yeah, let's go. That, if that <laughs> is a phrase you had on your bingo card in January of this year. I want to know what your Powerball numbers are. I mean, that's <laughs> like this is this is wild. You know, we, yeah. we, we we're we're going to talk uh, about a team that you follow very closely in the Big Ten East uh, here here in a few moments. But when you've got Penn State and that that school up north fighting for last place in the East Division, uh, <laughs> and you've got Indiana and Northwestern both in the top twelve, uh, you, know, you know, it's a it's a unique season of college football and i'm i'm here for it yeah it's fun and you know you want to see those teams continue to be good northwestern could end up going to the big 10 championship undefeated which is hilarious and i you know nobody knows what bowls might actually look like or what the hell anything's gonna look like in the next month but i am just going to enjoy them being good i also kind of enjoy and again in an abstract sense i think what if it becomes real and ohio state has to play them or they end up getting a lot of undue national attention and, and their fans start thinking they're actually like world beaters. I'll, I'll become much more annoyed, but Cincinnati being undefeated right now at eight and O I love that a for, because I really enjoy their, their players. I think they have a lot of really fun athletes and fun players on their team. Uh, Desmond Ritter, for example, I, I, great quarterback really like watching him play. Uh, but I also feel really good for Luke Fickle. I'm, I'm glad that dude is, a, you know, he's coaching a top 10 team that's undefeated. That's pretty kick ass. Yeah. And, they had a pretty – they had a legit come. I mean, they, they looked like they might have gotten skunked at early on in that game against UCF, and they come back and they, they win that damn game. So, good for them. Um, you know, it's, it's just – it's fun to watch. I'd like to see the, the hometown guy get some publicity and, and do good. So, even if it is against UCF and even if it is, you know, maybe not a <laughs> – it's the American Conference. Right? We're, not, we're not talking about Power 5 here yet, but – they can make some waves and they're sitting there, you know, maybe hoping something happens in the SEC or something like that ahead of them that they can sneak in. So, well, we'll find yeah. out, you know, they're, we're going to have the, uh, the first college football playoff rankings this week. So that's right. That will be, that, that'll give us a glimpse, right? That'll give us a glimpse. It'll be amazing. Yeah. Uh, real quick, Michigan beat, <laughs> beat Rutgers in three overtimes uh joe milton sat down doesn't know what he's doing that's fine uh Cade mcmare comes in does pretty good does pretty well looks good um you know slings the ball around still requires three overtimes to beat rutgers and they would have lost had rutgers hit a 45 yard field goal in the first overtime they missed uh it goes a couple more overtimes and then you know michigan puts it away i <laughs> michigan's real bad they're, they're real bad and i don't know why anybody would think that a victory over Rutgers would change that equation. And I really hope, <laughs> and I, I don't think so at this point, but I would really hope there aren't any Michigan fans out there like, okay, back on track, baby, let's go. Cause that's, that is not the case. That game was wild. I tuned in after the half when, you know, Rutgers was up. Oh, yeah. They, pretty, they pretty jumped convincingly. Out. That's right. And, and, you know, you're watching that game and, and toward the end of it, yeah, you're like, all right, Michigan's going to fiddle around and win this. And then Rutgers comes back and, you know, hits the two-point conversion. You're like, oh, my gosh, it's happening. It's happening. Rutgers is going to win. And then college kickers, man, uh, that they both <laughs> missed. Both teams missed their field goal uh, attempts in, what was that, second overtime. I, I just, I can't, 
I can't believe this, that yeah. both of them miss. Like, it was there. Uh, now, all that to say, uh, yeah, Michigan is, is bad. But, you know, it's, it's kind of impressive. Greg Schiano, who is the only coach who's ever been worth a tinker's dam at Rutgers, you know, comes back in in year one, and, and suddenly you've got his team making respected powers in the Big Ten sweat. They're not winning yeah. those games yet, but, I mean, they made Ohio State sweat a little. The game yeah. was never in doubt, but they made them sweat a little bit, made them work for it a little bit, and, and you to take uh, that team up north, even, even a, <laughs> a, a, a hilariously bad team up north, but for Rutgers to take them into multiple OTs like that, any other season – you know, we'd have been saying, holy crap, wow, Rutgers, you know, as right. it, this year, you know, it's a little hollow because we've been laughing at, up our sleeves at Michigan for weeks now. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I think Shiano's going to do some interesting things there as he did before. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he seems to just get it. I, I think he's empowered by all the Sopranos memes that are being shared <laughs> on Twitter. Well, and he's got uh, plenty of talent to draw from, right? Like, yeah. he, I mean, that's one of the things that, that that's a program that, you know, he should be able to do some things there. Uh, yeah. there. There's plenty of local talent along the Eastern shore. And that, you can tap into Pennsylvania too. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of opportunity for him and, and provided you find somebody competent. Maybe Chris Ash just really was that bad, <laughs> you know? So I don't, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what he'll do with that. Um, so here's the thing. We, Normally we'll do some ask us anything. I'm actually going to put ask us anything on the back burner for just this week, because one thing that I do want to talk about that we have not gotten to uh, yet in this podcast, and I don't think we've really gotten into too much recently is recruiting. Um, before we do that, we do want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com dry goods.11warriors.com shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out. We, look, Normally, I would say, okay, well, this is, you know, let's wait for the, let's wait for the signing day and do, 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 do. but like Ohio State, we get another, you get another top 50 prospect, right? Tonight, as, as we're kind of like getting into this, uh, Caleb Burton uh, commits to Ohio State, five-star wide receiver of 2022. Kevin just put this up there and, and kind of analyzed this Ohio State, uh, I'm gonna so I'm gonna just read directly from his piece. With the two new pledges, that includes Quinn Ewers and, and Caleb Burton. Uh, with the two new pledges, Ohio State now holds commitments from five top 50 prospects, which is the exact same matching the rest of the nation combined. There, uh, o- there are only five other committed top 50 prospects, and no other program has uh, more than even one top 50 commitment. The recruiting level, like people didn't think it could get much better under Urban Meyer. And what Ryan Day has done and what they've been able to figure out is just insane. Absolutely crazy. Number one recruiting class in the country easily um, for 2022. And it's, it's not even close. I mean, they are blowing everybody out of the water um, for the next couple of years. So that if you want to be confident and happy about the future – that's definitely a place to look for it because that's unbelievable. I've like, ne- I'm shocked, frankly, that it's it's gone this well for that guy. It's it, you know what I w- one of the things I keep thinking about. If you look at those two guys, so you're, yours and Burton, you've got you've got a quarterback, you've got a wide receiver. If you're in one of those two positions, why wouldn't you come oh, yeah. to Ohio State? I mean, yes, yes, there are real things like depth and, and who else is in the class or who's ahead of you and playing time. I, I, I get that. But just looking at who you have the chance to learn from and, and work with and Ryan Day and, and Brian Hartline, I mean, they're the two of the best uh, in the country doing it right now. Uh, why, why not go learn from those guys? And, and by the way, you, I mean, you can see it's paying off. Uh, you, you look and say, okay, uh, Dwayne Haskins may not be starting for the Washington football team every week like he should be, but homeboy got drafted in the first round. You know, that's, right. a, that's a pretty good deal. That's really what you care about if you're a, a five-star recruit, right? Look at uh, uh, the wide receivers on this team. You think some guys on this team in the wide receiver room aren't going to be starting on Sundays or at least going to be high, high first-round draft picks? Yeah, yeah, they are, sure. So if you're in one of those two spots, now then, you go back and you look and say, okay, where else uh, is Ohio State? 
doing well. Okay, so you've got a pair of, of linebackers. Well, we just got done saying the linebackers are the strength of this defense. Yeah. Maybe some of these guys are looking and saying, hey, there's some, there's some opportunities here because that's a veteran linebacker group. There's going to be some playing time opportunities there. So that, that sort of makes sense. I, I just think when you look at, at Ohio State, what it offers, particularly in a season like this where you're not getting the visits that you normally would, you're not able to go out there and visit five different campuses officially yeah, uh, because of the dead period and all of these other kind of, you know, the COVID travel restrictions and so on. National brands like Ohio State and, and Alabama and Clemson as well are, are definitely in the driver's seat for the top talent. But Ohio State, the proof is in the pudding, clearly. Proof is in the pudding. And I don't just mean that in terms of, obviously, if you were just looking at national titles, you know, Alabama and, and Clemson might have the edge here more recently. But guys playing on Sunday in the league and cashing paychecks, Man, Ohio State's got as good a story to tell as anybody in the business right now. Yeah, and and if you look at the class, I mean, you what you get the second, the top two linebackers, right? You're getting one and two there, and, and Hicks and Powers. You've got Ewers, who's the number one ranked quarterback, number two overall. Uh, Caleb Burt now coming in, 15 overall, second ranked wide receiver. There's just the the level of talent is just so damn high five top 50 guys that's mind-blowing yeah it really is and and like you said when you're talking about development and you look at what they're getting into the the league and and having the opportunity to work with guys and brian hartline it's not just that i think brian hartline's really good at his job the fact is is that he had a long and really productive nfl career right people see that and i guarantee you he leans on that when it comes to recruiting he's like look i've been in the league I'm going to teach you how to get in the league. That's that means something. That matters. And I, I know there are other players out there. There are other coaches out there who's they've got you know playing experience. They've got NFL experience. To have a guy who can combine coaching and recent NFL, you know, like legitimacy is something that I think really does matter because they've like these guys who are going to college have seen Brian Hartline play football, right? They can look up his highlights on YouTube. That means something right? Where you're like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to be even better than this. I'm going to teach you how to be better than me. I'm going to teach you how to be the next Terry McLaurin. If people don't, you know, you know, if, if you're an underestimated guy, people don't really respect your skills. You're going to be the next Terry McLaurin. If you're a big boss hog, you're going to come out and you're going to be the best dude in the world. You're going to be the next Mike Thomas to be able to say that and then back it up with your own NFL pedigree. I just don't know how you can beat that. I think that is just an incredible combination of things when it comes to recruiting. And look, if I were a kid, we're coming out of college or coming out of high school and I was looking to go to the NFL and I had that kind of skills. Those are, those are the combination of things that I would look for. I would look for a guy in Ryan day who clearly is a pass oriented guy, really smart, understands how to develop players. I would look for a position coach like Brian Hartline who has that kind of pedigree and obviously, you know, knows the stuff and has that experience at the NFL level. And then I would look for, a, you know, a college in Ohio State that has a history of putting those guys into the NFL uh, over the years. So I just – all those things combined really, I think, coalesce to make Ohio State kind of a juggernaut in recruiting. And I think Ryan Day has just kind of weaponized that. He's, he's, he's developed it to the point where they're getting – everybody they want and I just I'm really impressed by it I think it's awesome and I think it's going to continue I I don't see any reason why I wouldn't um so that's pretty awesome and definitely something to keep an eye on especially as they continue to fill out that class and we'll see who else is added there there are certainly some spots that uh you know Ohio State would like to be able to fill right there there are some there are some I don't want to say holes but there are definitely some places that they're like okay we need to make sure that we're recruiting Mm -hmm. well in these positions Mm -hmm. and and we have discussed that and I know fans have thought about that for a long time Um, but we'll keep an eye on it and obviously keep talking about it as it comes in keep sending in those dubcast questions we'll get to that next week dubcast at 11warriors.com last thing illabuck I'm going to ask you this question. Is Illibuck the best trophy in college sports? Is there a better one? And you can say, you can say yes. I mean, that, that's not like a, you know, a prompt to say, hell no, Illibuck's the best, but. Well, Illibuck may be the best. I mean, the, it's, it's pretty hardcore. I, I'm, I'm very fond of the Illibuck and I was trying to decide. The big 10 has some of the best. It has not some of it. It has the best trophies in all of sports like do other conferences do the trophy game thing i mean well i just mean i don't even i mean is that just just a big 10 thing like i'm trying to think 
are there i mean we talked about the egg bowl but do they actually have a bowl of eggs at the egg bowl <laughs> does the apple well, cup the actually one, have a cup i'm not sure you've got the arkansas louisiana one right where they've got like a you know the the statue of the two states i think and then i don't know there's some other ones but i, I guess mean the egg bowl does sports. actually have a trophy i had to like look this up they do actually it is it is a trophy oh good and I'm it, glad they have one it sort of looks like a chicken foot holding a golden egg maybe <laughs> that's not maybe. bad that might, might be Okay uh, well, I'm so, just saying when you've got Paul Bunyan's axe, I old oaken bucket. Axe. Yep. Right. You've got I forget. I think it's like Michigan State, maybe Penn State. I don't know where you've got that just giant glob of uh, wood that's <laughs> doesn't make anything. You got Illabuck. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Yeah. It, it's like the <laughs> land grant trover. Anyway, terrible but hilarious. And then you got you've got a giant wooden turtle. I just I love all of these things, and, and I will say that the <laughs> Paul Bunyan axe is a little bit better, um, but I still love Illabuck. I'm excited for it. I hope Ohio State uh, can retain it. Um, I mean, my so my favorite one um, is actually Floyd of Rosedale. Like oh, that. Floyd of Rosedale is great, and, and and partly you know again this is farm kid in me I suppose that I I love of course the the trophy that involves a farm animal. Sure, uh, but I also love the story about it. I mean, it's kind of like the illabuck in a way you know the fact that we used to trade a live animal back and forth yeah then it died i feel bad about that like i feel bad about that i'm laughing about the origin of the trophy because it died and it was such a majestic creature but but that there was a time in college football where we were trading live animals back and forth you know and and yes i have read the wikipedia article about the floyd of rosedale trophy more than once obviously um uh you know if you know uh, you might have guessed this, like the the reason that it's called the Floyd of Rosedale. I'm I'm assuming you're you're thinking it's because the the pig was was named Floyd. Uh, as it turns out, the governor of Minnesota that time was named Floyd. So Floyd oh, nice. Olson was the governor of Minnesota. And like often happens with uh, land grant university rivalry type games, the governors had an old old bet. So the governor of Iowa uh, and the governor of Minnesota had this bet over the Iowa Minnesota game. And uh, it it it, it uh, culminated in the trading of this pig, right? So I just think it's hilarious. It's pretty great. Yeah, the deal was in both those states. Like, if you didn't realize this about agriculture, both those states have, uh, you know, a lot of pork production. Certainly, Iowa is one of the most uh, prolific pork producing states in the country, but Minnesota is right there as well. So the deal was this was back in let me see what year this would have been 1935. 1935. Uh, Governor Olson of Minnesota sends a telegram to the governor of Iowa on game day, and he says, uh, Dear Clyde, we're excited about your statement about the Iowa crowd lynching the Minnesota football team. It's an anachronism of the era. Mm. But he says, I've assured them that you are a law-abiding gentleman. You're only trying to get our goat. Uh, And this goes on. They kind of go back and forth. The Iowa governor accepts um, a, a bet. Basically, they bet a Minnesota prize hog against an Iowa prize hog for the winner of the team. So these governors are betting pigs. Uh, and nice. the deal was Minnesota wins 13 to six. And so then the governor of Iowa gets a prize winning pig donated by a local farmer, the owner of Rosedale farms, apparently near Fort Dodge. And he names it Floyd of Rosedale after the governor of Minnesota. So there Not you too go. Bad. Yep, I there like you it. go. Yeah. Floyd that's, of Rosedale, that's, that's excellent. The deal. That incredibly important information frankly like I no seriously live that's not that even i knew you couldn't live without that story no no right? but seriously <laughs> it, it is important because it's all part of our cultural stew um the old brass spittoon is another Ooh, good one yeah another good one. one yeah I, old oak and bucket there's a there's, there's two paul bunyan trophies i'm just saying they're all great they're all fantastic. Illabuck is, is part of that fine tradition, and I, I look forward. By the way, may, <laughs> my all-time favorite picture that we've ever produced on this site is uh, JT Barrett holding up Illabuck in a driving rain. <laughs> so good. And it's not like this – it's not. It's certainly not this dramatic, like, triumphant moment. It's basically like, yeah, it's raining, but I love this damn turtle, and his, like, face is all contor- – I don't know. It's funny as hell. Just, One of the things that bothers looks me looks very I mean, wet. Like, this – you know, it's been what? 27 years since we've played for Illabuck now like that's one of the things that kind of bugs me about yeah the divisional lineup now uh what was it was 2015 the last time we played for Illabuck uh, maybe 2017 27 I mean it's been it's been a minute 
Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. Well, at any rate, it's been a while, and and I I wish we were playing for the Illabuck, you know, every year. That's uh, yeah. It's 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 a it's a it's an awesome trophy. It's an awesome game. Uh, Ohio State's going to win by five hundred points, but you know, all lines, that matters. Really lines, I think thirty favored by thirty. Yeah, let's say they cover. How about that? <laughs> Illinois is not great. They'll not come out great. pissed. They're going to be super pissed. So I think they're going to win that game handily, and and we'll be here next week to break it down and talk about it and. You know, just bask in Illabuck's glow. That's all I got to say. Bring so, it home. Bring it home. <laughs> uh, until then, I'm Johnny. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next week.